You're listening to the QPEM Podcast. To listen to our previous Sunday worship services, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's qpem.org. This week's message was given by Pastor Peter Kim. Thanks, Dickie Mary, for your prayer. And thanks, Angela. It's great to see uh, our young adults back now uh, in our service, uh, joining and partaking in our worship. Uh, thanks for your heartfelt words as well. Uh, we miss all you guys. And, uh, you know, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? A few weeks, really, here now. Um, weeks that I truly believe will change our country and our world forever. I don't think our world will ever be the same. I mean, we're talking about the pandemic, of course, what the COVID's doing, and obviously uh, all the impact it's had on every part of life. But what's happened these past two weeks in particular, it's changing how we see each other and how we relate to each other, the relations that we have, especially amidst uh, uh, national unrest over the death of George Floyd um, last week in Minneapolis is still so difficult to fathom what happened there. There's been memorial services for George Floyd uh, this past week, three of them in Minneapolis and Brooklyn here in North Carolina yesterday. Our prayers go out to George Floyd's family for God's comfort and peace over them as they mourn the loss of their dear uh, uh, father and son and the officer who had his knee, Derek Chauvin, uh, uh, pinning down on George's neck. Uh, he's been uh, charged with second-degree murder now. The other three officers have been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree mur- murder. Um, we're praying for them as well, as hard as it may be to. For them and their families, we've got to pray for them. Uh, for God's uh, uh, righteousness and justice to profound in their life. Um, you know, there's been changes right now implemented, uh, of course, uh, in law enforcement and police departments across the cities. Um, officers, as we know, have been suspended, put on probation. Uh, Mayor de Blasio even said here in New York City that NYPD is going to change. I mean, there, there's a lot of that focus there on law enforcement and, and what's going on um, with the community. And uh, there's consecutive nights, uh, 12 in a row of protests and demonstrations, peaceful protests, but then some of them have turned violent, rioting and looting. Um, curfews have been set in place this past week in New York, right? Officers have been shot. Our heart goes out to also one of those law enforcement officers who, who, who was shot and killed, David Dorn and his family. He was a retired police chief in St. Louis and he was fatally shot during a looting um, uh, in one of the stores there. He was a father of uh, five to five children, a grandfather uh, to 10 grandchildren. And uh, I saw that his son also uh, shared um, that his father would have forgiven those um, that took his life and forgiven those that are behind the violence in the city streets. What's happening right now in our nation, in our world, it's shaking up our whole fabric, I believe. I thought about it, and it's been a t- hard week for all of us, really. Uh, I- I'm thinking about you know, what's happened. Um, we've had these incidents before, haven't we? We've had racial tension. We've had racial injustice in our country. We've had clashes between the police and people, but this feels different, doesn't it? You know, even myself, I, I thought in reflection and meditation and just really thinking through, I, I thought I understood the issues. Yeah, you know, we, we need to, you know, reconcile and we need to start working together. But, but in reflection, I, I'm realizing I, I still have not fully gotten it either. Um, to fully understand um, what's at the heart of this divide and, and the uproar, uh, especially from our African-American community there. You see, the issue of racism has come to the forefront of our country and our world all in the midst of this pandemic as well. 
And I believe our, cro- our country is at a crossroads right now. We're at a crossroads. We shared um, on our QPEM Facebook and our Instagram page. We believe that God calls the church and his people to defend the weak, the powerless, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. He calls us to open our mouths for the rights of all who are destitute. We are called as a church to stand up against injustice, to defend the oppressed, to show the love of Christ and support of our brothers and sisters who have faced discrimination, racism, injustice in our country and our world. And yeah, it sounds great. And I think all of us who are worshiping together online today, we would all agree with it, sure, of course. But it's bringing us to a place even as a church, to, to ask and to reflect, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are God's people especially called the church, the body of Christ, are we defending the weak and the powerless today? Are we defending the rights of those in our society who are oppressed Are we being the voice for the voiceless? Are we supporting our African-American brothers and sisters who have faced and still continue to face discrimination and racism, prejudice, injustice every day of their life? Um, I was thinking this uh, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, that a lot of the things that um, took up our time and, uh, you know, where our, our lives are invested in and, and what we're normally preoccupied with, these escapes in life, right? To escape away from all the, the headaches of this world, entertainment, uh, the movies, uh, sports we go watch, even taking vacations. You know, all of that has been taken away from us. And in this season, we've had more time to reflect and think about bigger issues and bigger uh, important things in life. We've had these less distractions. I believe God is giving us this time to reflect on these matters. Where do we stand in social injustice, social inequality, and what are we gonna do about it? The church is called to act upon it, right? Today, God wants to continue to speak to us in this lockdown season to teach us a lesson, and he does so, Jesus, uh, he shares a parable in the Bible. It's a parable that, Many of us were familiar with a power that calls us to reach out, help those in need, those who are in danger, those who are poor, sick, and help us. We get that, but this parable also addresses a key issue that we are facing today as a country. And it's this issue of racism and prejudice, and it calls us to question, who is our neighbor, church? Who is your neighbor, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus is calling us to question that very, very statement today in your life and mine. So let's get right to it in Luke chapter 10, the gospel Luke chapter 10. It's a, it's a parable that addresses what is going on today um, in our nation. And it sees here in verse 25, a, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's this Jewish scholar. He knows the word of God, the Torah. He's putting Jesus to the test here, this learned scholar. He's very smart. He's wise. He's knowledgeable. And to justify himself, he's asking Jesus to prove that he's worthy. I'm worthy of salvation. I'm worthy of eternal life. And he's saying, teacher, what shall I do 
to inherit eternal life. And he's almost asking this question that he already knows the answer to in his mind, right? Let me put Jesus to the test here. Let me show him how smart I am, how righteous I am. Jesus, what, what can I do for salvation, right? And Jesus responds brilliantly. He responds brilliantly to this teacher's question with a question. And Jesus says to him, verse 26, well, what is written in the law then? How do you read it? How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The teacher of the law proudly responds in verse 27. Well, he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yes, we've gone over that. It's a great commandment, right? We have to love God truly with all of our might, our soul, everything in our, in, in our being, above any other love in our life, and we ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Jesus says, yes. In verse 28, you have answered correctly. Now do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. Did you catch what he said? Most of the hearers, most of us, we know this command, you know, our, our key time mission statement is really to love God and to love others and to make disciple makers. I mean, we know this. We know we have to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We know that. We have to love our neighbor, love each other. But Jesus doesn't say, know this and you will live. No, does he? He says, do this and you will live. Quite different. Now, here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> this lawyer, this scholar, this Jewish teacher, he's feeling good. He's feeling righteous. I got Jesus to say what I wanted him to say. And so he says that, you know, I want that final affirmation from Jesus. I want that justification from him. So he asks in verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You tell me, Jesus, who's my neighbor? <laughs> the question is quite profound. The lawyer doesn't even realize quite how profound his question really is. And so Jesus begins to explain. That's what this parable is about. It's interesting in this dialogue, it begins with the lawyer, this Jewish scholar, putting Jesus to the test. It's actually now Jesus putting the lawyer to the test and all listeners here, you and I included. He's giving us all a test. He's saying, okay, yeah, you know, to love your neighbor. It's easy to love someone. It's easy to help someone who is like you, right? Who, who, who likes you, who you like, right? Three, three things, right? It's easy to love someone who you like, who are like you, similar to you, and who you like. But what does it mean, specifically, to love your neighbor, to help someone, that is not like you, someone who does not like you, and someone who you do not like. That's different here. It's easy for the people that we like, who are like us, who who, who we like and like in return. You know what? What about the people that you don't like, who are not like you, who do not like you? Who's my neighbor? Jesus wants us to think about that today, church. 
Who is your neighbor? And to teach us, he shares this parable. We know this. There's four main characters. A Jew traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Three passerbyers on the road. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. In verse 30, Jesus says in this parable, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell upon robbers. This Jewish man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He is stripped down. He's beaten and then left to die. It says here, half dead. Verse 31, now the other characters come into play. We see first a priest and a Levite. (laughs) And it's the same thing. When they saw this Jewish man stripped, beaten, left half dead, it says, what did they do? They passed by on the other side. They saw him and he passed by on the other side. New Yorkers, you know, I think we kind of know what we're talking about. How often we're walking the city, Maybe we're going you know, down a street or we're down in the subways and we see a homeless man right there. We see a homeless man, you know, beggar, whatnot. And how often we see that person a few feet in front of us and, all right, let's walk on the other side. Right? Let's walk on our way to the other side. Very easy to do. It's an avoidance, right? We've all done that. We've all been guilty of that, right? And that's what the, far, the, the priest and the Levite do. They see the Samaritan He's right, they see the, the, the Jew, being Jew, he's right in their path. And they see him, what do they do? They walk right to the other side, walk right on by. Look with me in verse 33, but it says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, you take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. It's a Jewish man left to die on the street. A priest walks by. A Levite walks on by. But it's actually... The Samaritan who stops, sees him, has compassion, and helps. Let me give you some context. The Jew and the Samaritan. It's very important we understand, right? Back in the first century, the Jew and the Samaritan, they had no dealings with one another. They never met together. They never talked together. They never hung out together. Both the Jew and the Samaritan priest, they taught their people that it was sinful to have any contact with each other, with one another. Jews were to avoid the impure land of the Samaritans. Samaritans were not to speak to the Jews. The worst insult, actually, a Jew could use back in that day was to call someone a Samaritan. That's the worst insult you can call someone if you're a Jew. John chapter 8, verse 48 says that Jews answered, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? You have a demon. You're equating someone who's demon-possessed with a Samaritan. That's the kind of context we're talking about here, church. That's the kind of relations that these two groups have had. Jesus tells us what happened here. It's not the priest that stopped by to help. And it's not the Levite who had the compassion. Who was it? It was a Samaritan. A Samaritan who had compassion for the Jew. This is alarming. 
This is striking to the listener. And of course, to the Jewish teacher, the scholar, this lawyer uh, that Jesus is speaking to. You see what Jesus does here. You know, I, was, I was researching this parable. You know, there's a tremendous resource, Gospel in Life, by Pastor Keller. Um, and there's a unit here on, on, on justice, and, and, and it's incredible insights there. How Jesus is telling the story here to a Jewish scholar, a Jewish person, right? But it's interesting how he casts the characters in this story, in this parable. Now think about it, if, if Jesus has changed up the story, what if the parable had gone like this? What if he says, yeah, imagine a Samaritan was on the road journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's beaten up and left half dead on this path and a man comes along, sees him and has compassion and ministers to him. The hearer would say, ridiculous. I would never do such a thing, you know? Samaritans hate us, we hate them, they're our enemies. How can you expect me to love that neighbor? No way, I'm not going to help that person, right? But it's not the Samaritan that's beaten up and left half dead, that Jesus says, no. Jesus, what he's doing, he puts actually the listener, the hearer, that Jewish lawyer, that teacher, scholar, he puts him in the road as the victim, you see? What Jesus is saying is that, imagine you were beaten and left half dead on the road. You're there dying, bleeding, What if your only hope was to get help from someone who not only did, they did not owe you any help, but actually they owed you the opposite of that. What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every reason to actually trample you, to leave you to die, right? Then what, church? You see how Jesus is brilliantly sharing this parable, this teaching. What he's doing is he's putting the listener, back then this Jewish scholar, today you and I, into this story. We're placed into this parable. We are the ones now left on that road, beaten, bleeding, hurting. Jesus asks, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor in this story? Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the Jewish lawyer rightfully answers, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, then you go and do likewise. Then you go and do likewise. See, this story begins with this Jewish scholar of the law, self-righteous to justify himself. He's trying to test Jesus and says, you know what, I got it all under control. My life is good. I'm righteous. I'm going to heaven. I got salvation. But Jesus is saying, hey, hold on a second. You may know the Torah. You may know God's word. Are you living this truth out in your life? Who is your neighbor? The scholars say, wait, hold on a second. You're not saying that I have to love the Samaritan here? Everyone in this way? You're not saying that I have to love my neighbor in that kind of way, are you? Jesus is saying, hold on, who's your neighbor? 
Who's your neighbor? Oh, law expert admits, yeah. It's the one who had mercy on him. Even now he realizes that in that state where he's dying, he would take mercy even from a Samaritan, from his enemy. See, what Jesus is trying to show us, when we're in that place, left dying, needing desperate help, doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan, doesn't matter if you're a Jew. doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic, Latino. doesn't matter. When you're in trouble, all that is a race. is the last thing on your mind, right? You see, when we're being helped in this time of need, it doesn't matter who it is. We don't see color or race or identity in those situations. Right? Our country right now is in trouble, you want to say. It's right now the basic reason is race. Race relations. It's at the heart of these protests, the conflict between the African-American community and law enforcement right now and just the social injustice, the racial injustice, the systematic racial oppression that's happening in our country that's happened, economic oppression, judicial prison, uh, you know, injustice and all of that, right? How can we address these Issues. <laughs> and one way I was thinking about uh, how we see one another last week, I shared about um, just how, how we see the significance and worth in each other. It's, 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 and we can't be doing that through our eyes, that God made us in his very image. He made us in his likeness. And so our significance and worth is not based on what we determine. It's based on what God sees of us. And we have intrinsic value. Every human life has that intrinsic value. Why? Not because we deemed it, but because God deemed it, right? And so we're to see each other in that kind of way. You know, that's one way we start to see each other. But then another way today in this parable we're seeing Perhaps a cure for this racism, this sin of racism that is apparent in our country. And there's this article um, titled, The Cure for Racism is Cancer that I came across by Tony Hoagland. And he writes, the first time you park your car in a vast cold cavern of the underground garage and step into this hollow hospital elevator, you may feel alien and forsaken. Perhaps you'll feel that you have been singled out unfairly, plucked from your healthy life and cast into this cruel ordeal of cancer. He's talking to these people that have cancer. Walking through the lobby with a manila envelope of x-rays under your arm and a folder of lab reports and notes from your previous doctor, you'll sense a deep tremor of uh, this fear, this uneasiness trickling up inside, but there's good news. As you pass one hallway after another looking for this elevator B, you see that this place is full of people riding the escalators, reading books, magazines, checking their phones, and it'll draw on you that most of these people, almost all of them, have cancer like you. In fact, it seems as if the whole world has cancer. And with relief and dismay, you realize, hey, you know, I'm not special. Everyone here has cancer. That withered old Jewish lefty <laughs> newspaper editor over there, that Latino landscape contractor with the stone roughened hands, the tough lesbian in that corner with the bleached blonde crew cut and the black leather jacket, and you'll be cushioned and bolstered by the sheer number and variety 
of the people. The strange country of cancer, turns out, is the true democracy, he writes. One more real than the nation that lies outside these walls and more authentic than the lofty statements of politicians. It's a democracy more incontrovertible than platitudes or aspirations. And I thought about this, you know, how we see one another. You know, can we imagine if we all had cancer? God forbid. You know, I walked uh, this journey with my nephew, Jake, 10, 11, 12 years old, seeing him going to Children's Hospital. We, we walked that journey with Dylan. I know you're watching too today, joining. You know, we went to the Children's Hospital. I see, uh, you know, these children and, you know, just stricken with this disease and cancer, eating away at them. But we go to hospitals and we see other people. You see other kids, other, other people, same situations. Cancer doesn't discriminate. They're all in it together. I thought about that. Perhaps is that another way that maybe there can be a cure to this racism that we see? When we come to a place and we recognize that all of us, you, I, whether you're black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter. We are all sick in a way. We all have cancer in a way. How? Because we're all sinners. All of us are sinners. And we needed someone to come and save us, right? You know, we're on that road, that path, beaten, robbed, left half dead. All of us crying out for help to save us, someone to save me, to rescue me. And we needed someone to come. And we know the good news, the gospel that God gave to us. That when we were most desperate, all of us sinners in need of grace that God sent his son Jesus Christ he sent us to deliver us from that side of that street where we're in our own pool of blood and Jesus he takes us and he brings us to the cross and Jesus in that place he sheds his own blood and in doing so he gives us his life to give us life right? he restores our brokenness and our fallenness And by his grace, we are reconciled and healed and restored. That's the gospel. Jesus says that if you see that you have been saved by grace, then your attitude toward others will be one of compassion, right? If you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite, then you will show grace to others, see, church. The heart of someone that has been saved on that road, bleeding on that road, that we recognize I'm only here where I am today by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God. That I'm just like everyone else. We all have cancer. We're all dying. We were left dead. You and I, as that Jewish man was, bleeding on that road, and Jesus came down to come and save us out of his grace and mercy. We're all the same. We're completely equal then with every person in this world. I'm not any worthier than anyone else. That's what we're looking at here today. We look at what happened two weeks ago in Minneapolis. The white police officer with his knee on the neck of that black man, George Floyd. Racism. The seed of his heart. 
We see three others, officers, standing there. From what we can see, two other maybe white officers and this one Asian officer, right? Standing, silent. You know, QPEM, you know, we're in Flushing. It's a predominantly Asian American community, right? This neighborhood. We're predominantly Asian American in, this, in our church. And I wonder if you're feeling uh, anything, if you felt anything watching that scene, to relate possibly even to that officer. Not <laughs> the white one, but the Asian one just standing there in silence. I'm stereotyping here and generalizing, yes, but Asians generally, you know, we have this stigma that, you know, you just, you know, they're just polite. Asians are polite. Asians are quiet. Asians, you know, you just kind of, you know, you know, don't cause any trouble. Don't stir up any trouble. Just keep your mouth shut. Stay silent. Don't get involved. Maybe that's how our parents raised us. In this parable, we see the people that did not get involved, right? When they saw a man dying in the street. It was a priest, the Levite, right? <laughs> what they do, they, they, again, they moved out and to the other side of the street to avoid getting involved, to avoid reaching out. They stood quiet, you know, stayed quiet. It's avoidance, you want to call it, right? It actually takes effort to avoid, right, a, a, a situation, right? They actually had to move from their path here to actually now move to the other side of the road to get out of uh, the way of this, this man that's dying, right, in front of them. It takes actually effort to do that, you know? I see in this modern day parable, if you want to say, what happened in Minneapolis. Three officers that stood there, uh, complicit in silence. What are we to learn from this church? What are we to learn as a church here, especially as an Asian American predominant church God is calling us again to stand up against injustice, right? To stand up against oppression for those people groups particularly who are being discriminated against, who are left beaten on the side of the road. He is calling us to be involved, right? To get involved and stop saying silent. I think there's been a history in the church and in particular, maybe the Asian church, the Korean American church, where we have been silent on these issues of racism, social injustice. We've been silent. I think it's time we speak up from our silence. It's time to look back and repent over the sin of just silence and avoidance. And in that sense of just kind of avoiding the trouble and these officers are now complicit in the same uh, crime, right? See, to get involved, it's, it's actually risky. And perhaps maybe we didn't want to take that risk. To get involved, it's actually costly. There's a cost to being involved. For, for the uh, Samaritan in our parable, it was very risky. It's extremely dangerous, right? Not just because, you know, he's a Samaritan and he's going to help a Jew, but, but it's extremely dangerous on this road. It's infested with robbers, Right? It's best to just kind of move along, just keep going on this path, right? But to stop, actually, to help this 
dying Jew on a desolate road, it's very dangerous. It's risky. It's actually, actually very costly as well. What did the Samaritan do? He, he took this man, put him on his donkey, gave him to this innkeeper, promised to pay whatever it may cost for this man to recover, right? It cost him even out of his pocket. It was very expensive. It was costly for the Samaritan to get involved here. Jesus' answer to the Jewish scholar is very clear, and it is alarming. It's devastating. It's, it's saying there's no limit where we put our mercy. We are to help people, regardless of race, religion, even from people groups that we have uh, maybe a historical reason to distrust, right? You know, every country has an issue with some other country for, in their history, past history, and it's led to some kind of prejudice and hate. We're to help even when it's risky, even when it's costly to us, right? You and I, we're called to help one another. Why? Because our life was there on that road. We were saved at a great risk and a great cost to our Father. It cost him his son, Jesus Christ, right? At a great risk and cost to God, he came down to save us. We are called to do the same now, right? You know, this past Tuesday, there's a lot of protests going on, a lot of marches and demonstrations. I got this word from my sister Tuesday uh, in the daytime about, of, of this prayer march that's, that was being organized by over 50 churches in New York City. Um, and, and it was titled, uh, Pray, Act, and March. Now, I know this is a sensitive issue for, for maybe some of you watching, and you know, I don't know about you know, getting involved in any protests, and you know, I don't want to you know, potentially you know, get in the way of like, you know, us and the police. It's not about that. I know some of us, you know, I would never do, do a protest right now, especially with this pandemic, this COVID-19. It's, it's crazy to be out there with a thousand, tens of thousands of people. I was talking with my brother even that day about, and hey, I'm, I'm maybe considering this uh, uh, prayer march. And my brother, are you crazy? <laughs> There's riots going on. He, last night, tear gas, bullets flying in the streets. You know, he said, like, I want my family members to be safe indoors, stay indoors. That's an 8 p.m. curfew. I was praying about this. You know, talk to the elders, and I'm praying. You know, you know, even our church involved me. I know it's a very sensitive issue, even for churches to get involved. But I prayed. I sensed, you know, God saying, "Hey, you know, I want you there." You know, as a pastor, you know, as as a leader of a church, you know, we can preach all we want. We can preach and say, "Hey, this is God's word. We can just do it." You know, do as as we say. You know, love God and love your neighbor. Do it. You know, I, I felt God saying, "Hey, you know what? You as a leader, you know what? Show it, right." by your life and lead by example as well, right? There's things in my life that I need to look at, you know, how, how I feel about the African-American community and uh, what's going on in our country. Do something about it as well. I felt convicted. I want to go. I want to be there. You know, I called some cucumbers up. Got a couple of brothers and sisters. Let's go. That's what we did. When we got there, we realized, you know what? You know, it's not this protest against, you know, people against the police. It's not protesting, you know, just this fighting battle there. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, political, whether you're left or right, Republican or Democrat. You know, what we're there, we went there to worship, right? We went there to pray in support of our African-American brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. 
And I was saying, you know what? You know the reason why I'm going there? I want to show our African-American brothers and sisters that there are other people that are standing with you against this injustice. We are there to support you. You know, right now, you may feel like there's no hope. You may feel like there's no future in our country. It's a desolate future. We want to show that there is hope. And we're standing together with you in that regard. You don't have to continually despair. Look at this picture here, you know, we'll show, you know, of this people that are there. You know, I was surprised, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of the churches that organized this, it wasn't predominantly African-Americans marching here in this particular uh, prayer march. Look at it, it's, it's predominantly Caucasians and Asians and Hispanics, you know, in unison, right? To get together for a peaceful prayerful protest. And I want to show a clip here uh, from a pastor who spoke up uh, in this uh, prayer march. And you know, I know many of you maybe could not go or, or would not be able to ever you know, attend something like this. I want to share with you what's, what's being uh, you know, proclaimed uh, in this um, uh, prayer march here. Listen to this pastor, what he said. We come out here, African-American, Afro-Latino, Korean, Chinese, Asian, South American, Homo African. When you look at the Bible in the book of Revelation, it says that before his throne was every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language was represented. Right now, look around. This is what heaven looks like. You know, 
something that the pastor spoke there really struck me in particular. Yeah, you know, some of us have a problem with this issue of this Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, this, this uh, movement, you know. You know, some of the responses that we hear all the time, you no, know, it's not just Black Lives Matter, all lives matter, right? All lives matter, all lives, of course it does, but that's not what the point is, right, they're saying. I appreciate what the pastor said, it's like, not all lives are saying, I can't breathe, right? Not all lives in our society are, are being pulled over by, by the police just for, for driving late at night in your car, right? I don't think you and I per- perhaps have ever experienced something like that, right? What we're saying is not that all lives don't matter. We're saying in this particular case, this issue, black lives do matter, right? We, and we can't be ashamed to say that. I, I don't think we, we can say that we shouldn't say that, 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 that motto and that movement. It does, black lives matter. You know, some people, again, are so fixated in that. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a month, right, where people all wear pink. Why? Because that month is breast, care, breast cancer awareness month, right? Now, in that month, it's not saying that, you know, all the rest of the cancers don't matter, right? Of course, every cancer matters, all different kinds of cancer. But in that month in particular, the focus is on breast cancer awareness, right? And this movement as well, that's what I believe it is. It's a focus on that black lives do matter and it should matter. And for all of us, we ought to care about that. That it does matter, right? Especially in our, the rest of the communities that have caused pain and suffering to the black communities. That we have to acknowledge the problems and we have to work out solutions. We have to listen. I think the biggest thing for me this week, just to listen. You know, just to listen to some uh, the African-American uh, community, the brothers and sisters, uh, to hear, you know, That's what I'm trying to do. The church, we are called to act on this injustice. Some of us say, you know what, hey, uh, I don't know, I don't know any African-American, you know. I don't know any uh, uh, African-American, you know, I don't have any friends. I was talking to even my my kids this week, trying to share with them as parents, I think it's it's our duty to to educate our children in this world that we're living in, especially in regard to racism, and trying to share with Caleb and Luke about what happened with George Floyd and what's, what's happening with the riots and the protests in the streets and such. And, and I was asking, you know, Caleb and Luke, do you have you know, any African-American friends in your schools? Are there any African-Americans, uh, students? And Luke, says to me, you know, Dad, I think, you know, no, it's just all Asian and the rest are English speaking, he said. <laughs> They're Asian and English, he says, okay? Yeah, I mean, even our kids, you know, growing up here in Queens, this is this area, Bayside, Flushing, you know, Long Island, you know, there's, there's, there's maybe, we don't have that experience, right? We think, you know, we're not on the same path as the African-American brothers and sisters. You know what's interesting? The priest and the Levite, they were on the path of that Jewish person. And they made an effort to avoid walking directly over him. But here's the thing, they were guilty of neglect because why? That Jewish person is on their road. They're on that road together. They're trying to make an illusion that, you know, we're on two different paths, two different roads, but you know, they were on the same road, right? You know, we, we make these excuses that, you know what? You know, it's a different world, different zip code. You know, we're in different, you know, universes here. Everyone we encounter in our life, where we live or where we work or in our commute to work, guess what? Every person that God's placed in our life, they're the people that are on our road, right? They're the people that God has placed in in, in our path. 
And if we don't learn about or get involved in a way to learn about one another in the needs of each other, then we're just like the priest in the parable. We're just like the Levite in this parable. We have to get involved, church. We have to speak up. Now, I want to share a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King. He says, the church, the calling on the church, the church must be reminded that it's not the master or the servant of the state, but rather it's the conscious of the state. The church must be the guide and the critic of the state, never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. If the church does not participate actively in the struggle for peace and for economic and racial justice, it will forfeit the loyalty of millions and cause men everywhere to say that it has atrophied its will. Dr. Martin Luther King. If the church does not get involved, then who will, right? As those who have received God's grace, those of us on that path, that road, if we don't get involved, then who will now, church? I want to close today by sharing how that prayer march ended on that Tuesday. You know, I took this video where we were all gathered together at Barclays Center and all of us sang a song in unison together. As whites, Asians, blacks, Hispanics, this song called We Shall Overcome. It's a song used during the civil rights movement, right? African American supporters to show that, you know what? They intended to overcome the prejudice and segregation. So originally it was a gospel song. And it included the lines, Deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. Through Jesus Christ. Through God, we shall overcome. Let me close by sharing this video of what happened uh, as we close that prayer march together. for listening to the QPEM podcast. For more information on our church, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's Q-P-E-M 